Good morning. Good morning. Um, I, we are still trying to, um, I'm only saying this because this is this morning's conversation. We're still trying to get the temperatures right in this room. So one thing we're going to do is like a Hunger Games style a little bit. I'm going to give the hottest person and the coldest person mine and Blake's phone. And then you guys can fight it out to see who wins uh, in the end. Because um, I turned it up a little bit because it does get a little chilly and now I feel like it's stuffy. So I'm sorry for that. Um, hopefully you can all uh, manage. I'm going to be sweating regardless. Um, so thankful to be here with you this morning. Obviously, it is a good day to come and open the Word of God to speak uh, truth into all of our lives. Hopefully, uh, through God's Spirit and His direction that we don't leave this place unchanged. That His Word takes its effect in our life. It takes deep roots and plants uh, trees of faith trees of uh, growth in our lives. I want to tell you, uh, most of our songs were, this morning, they were uh, related to love, loving each other, the love of God. It's because one of your pastors works really diligently to try to make sure the songs are in theme with what we're speaking. And the one who gets to speak, mostly, the pastor who gets to speak, does everything he can to hijack that. So, uh, this morning where I told Blake we would be going through 8 through 11. As things went along, I found myself being stuck on verse 8. Because I believe, um, although the next couple of texts will be specifically about keeping the law through love, I believe the first sentence in verse 8 is uh, essential, essential to being to loving the Lord, to loving our neighbor, to loving our spouse, our family, to growing in the faith. And so as I started talking about these things, I couldn't help but spend a little more time. Also, I thought it was a good opportunity to uh, do a shorter sermon since I would like to give a little plug here. If this is the first time you're hearing this, we're going to be eating together uh, after the church service. So I thought it would be a good time to do a little shorter service. With fair warning, every time I've, almost every time I've ever thought I was going to go shorter, uh, I go longer. So um, it's, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. We're all in it. We're all a part of it. I hope that you can have grace with me through that. All right. We're going to be in Romans. I'm not going to be silly anymore because I think that the teaching of the Word of God is... Uh, And the listening and the application is the most important thing we will do during the week. I think it's very important today. And we've come all to concentrate on that specifically. And I think it's very important throughout the week. And so I don't want to take up any more time uh, speaking on anything else. Um, Today we're going to be in Romans 13. We're going to be looking at keeping the law through love. With the main idea being... The spiritual problem of debt. The spiritual problem of debt. Will you pray with me today so that we can focus on this and pray that God speaks through His Word. Lord, we come with great expectation that You will open our hearts and our minds to Your Word. 
that through the power of your mighty spirit, you will teach us to live, learn and apply your word in a way that changes us and in a way that eventually through our life impacts others. Lord, would you teach us to be good stewards of your word? Would you teach us to not take it flippantly because we can all open a Bible at any time we want? But would you teach us to cherish it, to love it, to know that it is the breathed word inspired by God, sufficient for all of our needs in sanctification? Lord, help us to love you more because everything we see in your word leads us to that. Help us to obey you, to follow you, to be changed. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, the people who are coming, Lord, in a spirit of defeatedness, a spirit of lostness, a spirit of anger. Lord, I pray that your word would remove their heart of stone and replace in them a heart of flesh, a heart that is susceptible to love, to kindness, to peace, to gentleness, to faith. Would you, Lord, as we go throughout this day, would you, and throughout this week, would you change us all to have a soft heart, to be in tune to you, but also to be empathetic and in tune to the needs of the world so that we can properly disperse the gospel of Jesus Christ so that lives may be changed, so that hearts may be softened, so that the people around us, if not, Lord, Lord willing, the whole world, be changed by the individual lives we live, by the lives we live as the church. Lord, lead us in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And we will return all the glory for anything good in our lives back to the one who is worthy of all praise, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. It's in that name we pray. Amen. The last two weeks we've talked about how we could honor the Lord with our role in government. We talked about the appropriate times to obey the civil authorities, the government, and the leaders, and also the appropriate time to dissent. Now we learned that it is the job of the Christian to obey much more, obey the, the civil authorities, obey the government much more than we dissent. And that as a matter of fact, dissent is to be on a rare occasion. I want to throw this plug out there for, for all of us. And I'm just essentially pretend like I'm speaking to a mirror right now so that you won't think I'm picking on you specifically. Uh, a spirit that causes you to want to rebel against the government on a regular basis does not come from God. That is a spirit of rebellion that if you examined your life very specifically causes you to rebel against all authority, which actually is ungodliness. That is not godliness. So if in your spirit you have this sense that causes you to rebel against all authority, against church authority, against biblically placed authority, against familial authority, against bosses, against uh, co-workers who have a higher level of authority or have temporary authority over you. If you find that your spirit is to dissent 
more than it is to comply, the problem is with you and not those around you. You must repent and believe the gospel. And trust that God has placed authority in your lives to be a good thing for you in order that you can grow in the spirit of God and you cannot have a spirit of anarchy that it is the opposite of what God has called us to do. There will be times to dissent and in general authority, in civil authority, in many other ways. But if you find yourself dissenting more than falling in line in obedience, I would tell you, you find yourself disobeying the Lord more than you find yourself obeying Him in those areas. God has not placed authority in our lives for us to prove how well we are or how good we are at dissenting. He has placed authority in our lives so that we can obey. And I will tell you what I believe Paul is saying is we can love our neighbor best when we listen as long as it doesn't meet those stipulations or go against those stipulations we talked about before. When we listen and obey governing authorities, civil authorities, we are actually treating our neighbor well. Verse 7 last week was sort of a setup for what we're going to talk about today. Verse 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And today we see, owe no one anything except what? Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now take into mind everything I've said over the last two weeks and... Um, take this and couple it together. It appears that Paul is saying that paying our taxes, giving honor to government authorities, giving honor to civil authorities, giving honor to those authorities in your life is one of the ways that we obey and keep the second commandment. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. It is assuredly the way we keep the first Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Because that is what He has commanded. Today I want to spend more time specifically on verse 8. But briefly I would like to tell you that verses 1-7 through and the rest of chapter 13. And really the law of God is predicated on the second part of verse 8. Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Next week we will discuss how love fulfills the law and not just the law, but the whole law. How does love fulfill the whole law? Well, if you if and this is a spoiler alert, we'll retalk about this again next week, but if love is our primary motivation in obedience, if love is our primary motivation in obeying civil authorities and obeying governing authorities, in obeying church authorities and obeying parental authorities, if love is our primary motivation, then we honor God. And so we've kept the primary commandment number one. Therefore, if love is our primary motivation for our actions, then we have also fulfilled number two, and that is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, how does that happen? Well, love does not covet, we'll see next week. Love does not want something to the point, want something so bad that our neighbor has to the point that we're willing to take it. 
As a matter of fact, I will say this, friends, and this is where this is the first little nugget as to why debt is a spiritual problem. Love does not covet so much that it will go to any means to get what our neighbor has, even if the means is using money that we don't have. I want to say this. I'm going to say this one or two times over the course of today. I don't believe all debt is bad debt. Okay? And I don't even think that verse 8 is saying don't have debt. Verse 8 is saying, and we'll talk about this a little bit. I'm putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. But verse 8 is saying don't have outstanding debt. Don't have unpaid debt. But we shouldn't covet to the point where we want to steal. But we also shouldn't covet to the point where we want to overextend ourselves. Where we max our lives out so that we can please our spouse or please our children. But also please that internal desire to have what someone else has that we can't afford. Love, loving God, is being content and happy with what He has given us. Until He gives us something else. Even if He doesn't give us the exact desires that we are pursuing. Love does not murder. We're fulfilling the second commandment. Loving our neighbor as ourselves when we don't murder. And that goes, we'll, we'll dive into that. Remember, murder is not just ending someone's life. Murder is the way we talk about someone, the way we treat someone, the way we think about someone. It considers others first. It causes you to put a high priority on what you have and then a higher priority on your interaction with others. Everyone's going to love themselves to some degree. So we put a high priority on what God has given us and then an even higher priority on what how we can interact and deal with others. Now today we will see how not repaying debt and owing people is a spiritual problem and one that is both unloving and bad for your personal life. Now I think it's obvious that debt is a problem for the average person. Around 76% of all Americans are in debt. The average household, when I saw this, now this was a verified statistic, it's hard to believe that it's this small. It's probably because I have all of your debt and you don't have as much. But the average household has at least $5,400 in credit card debt. 545,000 bankruptcy filings in 2020. Almost 2 million foreclosures from 2016 to 2020. Most of the marriage counseling I have done, whether specifically sit-down marriage counseling or whether just conversation... The root of all of the the root of many of the problems that they have revolves around this burden of debt. And it's and it's not that every issue is a money issue. It's that debt and money issues spoil the feelings about everything else. Debt is like a chain. It's like a ball and chain on your leg. It's like a big gorilla on your back. Even if you don't necessarily, even if that's not your primary problem, it's always there. You can always feel it. And therefore, it roots into other issues. Most of the arguments between my wife and I have come because of our, our, O-U-R, our impulsive Uh, This is not mostly me, but our sometimes impulsive choices in spending. Uh, And then, you know, we 
end up buckling down and we're both mad at each other for privately spending or something like that. Uh, that might have happened. That might not have happened. I don't. You'll have to be the judge of that. Debt is a personal problem that will always put a hole in many areas of your life and your relationship. Debt doesn't just affect you and your spouse. It affects your interaction with others also. But debt is a spiritual problem. So I've titled the, uh, the main point today that we're going to discuss. The spiritual problem of debt. Friends, you must understand. And I know that this is a personal problem. Because I, I know that many people in here are in financial debt or have been. I myself have some financial debt that I would consider not good debt. Uh, we have seen the command from Paul, though. The command is pay to all what is owed. The command is pay your taxes. The command is pay an earning, pay a revenue to someone who has done labor for you. Owe no one anything. But why is debt a sin problem? As I've mentioned already, there is some okay debt. In our society, a young family and even older families can't, almost can't have a house unless it was inherited, unless you came from money, or you live in a place uh, that doesn't necessarily fit your family's needs. Uh, in many cases, it is difficult, but not impossible, to own a reliable vehicle Say, if you have a family of six or more to haul them around in a reliable vehicle. Which makes you think, sorry, I have a mustache hair that keeps getting in the way. Uh, not that y'all needed the play-by-play uh, -play on that, but that's what's happening. Which makes you think, well, if I'm going to go into debt anyway, I might as well buy... Uh, here at our church, the pastor just stops to say random things in the middle of his sermon. Uh, here, it, it makes you think, well, if I'm going to go into debt anyway with this vehicle, I'm going to get the vehicle that I want to make sure that, you know, we're taken care of for a while. Um, but friends, really, other than those things, and really even some schools of thoughts would say that car debt is bad debt, other than those things, there is a problem that we have with debt. And here's why I believe debt is a problem, not just a personal problem, but a spiritual problem. Firstly, I think that debt proves that our hope and reliance on God is at least skewed. Now, these might not be, these are going to be up here, but I just realized as I started saying these that they might not be up here in the exact way that I'm saying them. Debt proves that our hope and reliance on God is at least skewed. We go into debt often because we don't trust God and His timing for our lives. We see stuff, we want stuff, then we say we need stuff, and then we go get it. That is the American way. That is the American way way. As a matter of fact, we say, um, well, I'm going to get this other credit card. It's a store credit card because they give me this discount. 
but I'm only going to use this store credit card. And we ended up using not only that store credit card, but we ended up using the pre-existing credit cards we had. Now, what about this? Maybe you've been guilty of this as I am. I'm going to get this 0% interest. And I, as long as I pay it off by, you know, before it's all said and done, it'll be 84 years. Now it's like seven years or something like that. But you can go into a furniture store right now and finance furniture for like seven or ten years. I mean, my goodness, the couch I bought that we paid a lot of money for, we didn't finance. It was years ago. Uh, or we got a two-year, no, whatever. But before the, before the thing was paid off, the thing needed to be fixed already. You know, you can finance a car for like eight years now or something like that. The problem is we don't trust in the, the timing of God to provide the needs, to provide for the needs that we have in our lives. But also we ended up having a skewed perspective of what we should or shouldn't have. The American dream, although I think it's spectacular to want to have a house and to want to raise a family and to want to succeed and do well. And our country has put us in a, a great place to do that. The American dream also causes us to believe in our minds that we should never want for anything. That we should never struggle. That we should never go without. Would you like me to prove this? If your air conditioning goes out, are you going to finance it to get it fixed? Or are you going to let it go unfixed because you don't have the money? Because we deserve to have an air conditioner. If your car goes out, are you going to pay cash to get that car fixed? Pay cash to get a comparable car? Are you going to say, well, this, wasn't, this is a later model. It wasn't really worthy of fixing. So I'm going to go get my 24-year loan on an $80,000 car. Debt proves to us often that our hope and our reliance is not on Christ Jesus. That we often can't just be satisfied and humbled by the fact that we don't have. Friends, I want to tell you, the more often that we are humbled by what we don't have, the more we're reliant we are in Christ. I want to tell you, if my air conditioning goes out, I'm probably the guy that finances to have the air conditioning fixed. So I'm not being judgy. But I am saying that it is just an example of how our priorities are skewed. We're willing to go into debt to make sure that we have no wants or needs unmet. It's a unique situation in our country. For the majority of history, that wasn't even possible. For the majority of history, we could not solve our problems so easily. And that is why, in general, you and I and the rest of this nation have no need for God practically anymore. Obviously, you know, I mean that in the sense that we feel that way. Debt exposes our priorities. Debt exposes our priorities. And I say exposes because often our priorities are skewed. Often, instead of our priorities being, and this is what I think they should be, I'm going to work hard 
to make sure my family is taken care of, but also so that I can be generous to my church and I can be generous to others. That sounds like what a lot of you are doing. What was missing with what we're doing though? I'm going to work hard so I can take care of my family. So I can get to the next level of wealth. Then I'll be generous to my church. And then I'll be generous to others. I want to tell you as someone who has experienced a few tears being raised on the wealth scale. You never stop looking for the next level of wealth unless something hits you in the face. You never stop looking for the next attaining of the next level of wealth. And therefore, you are perpetually going to be generous later. You are perpetually going to, to get rid of debt later. Debt exposes our priorities. Because it shows that we can't wait on the Lord, but more importantly, that we want to have all we want to have and more. And we will, we will be constantly, we are constantly, most of us are guilty of this on some level. We are constantly living in the next tier of wealth until our finances catch up. And then we move to the next tier of wealth and debt until our finances catch up. The only thing that stops us most of the time is death. Which is the ultimate, uh, which is the ultimate revealer that wealth really didn't matter as much as we thought it did. Debt removes patience and trust from the equation. Well, if God hasn't given me the money then the gods at Chase and Capital One will. How often have you wanted something really badly and just waited? How often have you saved? Have you sacrificed? little caveat to that. You shouldn't be saving and sacrificing for something you want later while you still have debt. While you still have outstanding credit card debt and stuff like that. Side sermon, if you're saving for something expensive, you should use that money to go towards debt and then get the expensive thing. How often do we wait? Why do we have to anymore? 75 years, no interest. Our grandkids are going to be paying off our couches that we got rid of five years ago. <laughs> Debt removes patience and trust from the equation. Two things happen when you are patient and you trust for something that you want. You have to hear me, guys. I am preaching to myself on a major scale. We've been paying off a massive amount of debt. And I, I am committed to continuing to do that until it's gone and never getting back there again. But... Um, and it hasn't been an inconvenience to us. We've just been really flippant on spending money everywhere else. Like I was just describing. 
But let me tell you this. There's two things that happen when you're patient and you wait and you scrimp and you save and you work extra for something. Number one, you appreciate it much, much more. When you're not still paying for something, when you get it, you appreciate it much, much more. Number two, you might realize at the end of it, there's something better to spend your money on. You might realize at the end of it, you didn't want it as badly as you thought anyway. That's why half the things we have end up at Goodwill within 10 years of buying them. Half the things we have end up at Goodwill are broken very soon. I just came under massive conviction thinking about several things in my life right there. It just came to my brain. Debt removes patience and trust from the equation. Here's one that makes debt a spiritual problem. Debt satiates the appetite of covetousness. Those were a lot of words. Debt fulfills that covetousness appetite. Whereas, as one of the Ten Commandments, we are to reject coveting. I, they have it. I want it. I'm getting it. It is not wrong to want things your friends have. As a matter of fact, some of the best things I've ever purchased are because someone else I know had it first. But it's wrong to drop the pursuits of holy and good things to pursue things other people have in order that the world can see that you are one of the haves and not the have-nots. It is wrong to drop our, not just our responsibility, not just our fulfilling of the commands, but our love for the Lord in being generous, giving back to Him what He already owns, in order to satiate the appetite, to fulfill the appetite of covetousness. Debt limits generosity. If your money is perpetually tied up in minimum payments, you will never be generous like you hope and expect to be. If your money... Here's the, here's the deal. If we have a bunch of credit card debt, if we have a bunch of zero interest, if we have car notes the size of the average person's house note, we have already promised that money. It's gone. It's gone. So even if you want to be generous, you say, we just don't have the money to be generous. You're right. It's because you've promised it down the road to a creditor. Debt is unloving because it limits our ability to be generous. Debt places a cloud over our entire family. That's the last of why I think debt is a spiritual problem. Debt places a cloud over our entire family. Anna and I have gone through this cycle. And I'm only exposing myself and not her. I'm just mentioning her because she's my wife. We have gone through this cycle where... 
we have been debt free. And then we buy a flip house for a house to live in that we're going to flip. And we want we put everything we want to put in it. And we go back into debt to do it. And then we sell that house. And then we're debt free. And then we we put all this money into it that we want to we want we want we do everything we want to do to it. And then we go into debt again. It puts my mind constantly clouded and in a spirit of uneasiness because I always feel like that my only solution to being happy and to being debt free is to sell my house in order to pay off the debt that I have in order to live without that cloud over my family. I mean, the, the simplest mind who does a little bit of math would tell you that you don't have to sell your house every time you want to be debt free. You could just cut the extras off. You don't have to have every streaming service. You don't have to have, and we'll talk about that in a second. But debt places a cloud over your family. It ruins, or not ruins, but it impeaches upon, impedes upon, that's the word I was using, it impedes upon every other aspect of your life. If you have a problem with each other that day, with the way someone slept in the bed that night, they might have kicked you or pulled the covers off of you. I'm telling you, there is some level of extra resentment because of debt that is in our lives. I know that you probably don't, maybe you, maybe you don't see that, maybe you will after this, but I'm telling you, I feel it. If your wife, husband goes out and spends money that you clearly have, but you also have debt, there is a cloud. It's not nearly as cloudy when you do it privately on Amazon and pick up the packages before anybody's home. I've learned from experience. But cloudy nonetheless. Debt is a spiritual problem because it shifts our priorities from what God wants for us to what we want for us. The good news is, if you have some of this bad debt that I've mentioned, there is hope for you. I believe committing to paying your debt back puts you on a mental track that will remove the cloud from your life. Because you have a purpose and an intent to honor the Lord and honor the commitments that you've made and therefore, it almost immediately lifts your spirits about your disposition. So I'm going to give you what I believe are some solutions to your debt and my debt problems. I think the first is based on all I've talked about today, and that is attack debt as a spiritual problem. If you see debt as just a problem of overspending or just a problem of getting the things you want, or just a problem of having bad luck with cars or air-conditioned units, you will never fix the problem of debt. 
If you see debt as a spiritual problem where certain types of debt objectively dishonor the Lord, then you will, in fact, see debt as a spiritual problem and then do something about it. I've got another easy one. Now these, obviously nothing is new under the sun. I didn't directly get these from reading something, but over the years of trying to get out of my own debt issues, these are the things I've come up with. It's, it's really very difficult stuff. Here's the next one. Stop buying what you can't afford. Stop buying. This is hard. This is, you laugh. Because it's, it's sort of nonsensical to hear it. But how many of us plan on buying something we can't really afford this week? Stop buying what you can't afford. Let me, let me give you a description of what you can't afford. If you have outstanding credit card debt and you have something that you want and even you've been waiting for, you can't afford it until your outstanding credit card debt is paid off. Let me give you another way to measure. If you are paying more towards credit cards and car notes and loans and things like that, then you are being generous, then you're giving to your church, then you're giving to other people. You can't afford what you want until you start changing those things. Stop buying what you can't afford. Here's a good measure. If you can't buy two of what you want, unless it's a house, sometimes a car, if you can't buy two of what you want, you can't afford it. That's not always the only measure because I can buy like 100 Netflix accounts a month, but that doesn't necessarily mean I should have it. To go along with that, reduce spending. I know it's crazy, but reduce spending. How do you reduce spending objectively? You have to budget. You have to budget. You have to know what your expenditures are in order to know how to reduce spending. Recently, I came across this app. It's called Truebill. And it actually goes through your accounts and differentiates, delineates between what these accounts are. As a matter of fact, it looks at all your subscription services. What you find is you were subscribed to a few things that you had forgotten about, more than likely. Looks at all your subscription services. These are all your monthly subscription services. These, this is the money you spend on gas. This is the money you spend on utilities. This is the money you spend on groceries. And it helps you to sort of break that down in a way that you can reduce spending. Here's one that's really difficult. If you want to get something really badly to where you feel the obligation to get out of debt before you get it, sell things or find an additional source of income. I want you to know if you want to get out of debt bad enough, this is the time to do it. Have you gone past a store lately? Can you go past a strip mall without seeing a help wanted sign? There is Go Waiter, there is Uber Eats, there is Grubhub. There is Fat Farm. I don't know. I was just started naming some because I forgot. There are all the kind of places that you can just bring, deliver food to people's houses and make extra money. If I had a buffet, that's what I would call it, actually. 
produce additional income or sell things in order to pay off debt. Listen, this is not something I would recommend because it takes a lot of like really strong. Um, it takes a lot of discretion. It takes prior knowledge and it takes self-discipline. You can go to garage sales. Heck, you can go to dollar. You can go to Dollar General and find things that are for sale on eBay and Amazon in the in the Dollar General store. And make five, six, seven dollars. Or if you do Goodwill and garage sales well enough, um, you can make even more money if you want to make some extra income to pay off debt. Here's my problem. If I did that, I would have an entire garage full of things that I had yet to sell. So I can't, I can't do that. It requires prior knowledge. It requires self-discipline and a willingness to see your spiritual debt, your, your debt as a spiritual problem and pay it off. Provide additional income. Now this is one that comes directly from Dave Ramsey. who It came directly from someone else. Who it came directly from someone else. It's called the snowball effect. Have you heard the snowball effect before? The snowball effect, Dave Ramsey style, starts with paying off your lowest amount of debt. Your lowest balance on your credit card. On your credit card or something. You pay off the lowest balance so that you can celebrate. And then you use whatever money per month you were using to pay off that balance and you snowball it with another piece of debt. And then once that's paid off, you take whatever money you were spending and you snowball it with another piece of debt until you are done paying. Debt is okay at times. Especially debt that we are willing to pay off. But I want, I want to tell you, because someone allows you to do something, <clears throat> pay off student loans, doesn't make it right necessarily. As Christians, we are to live at a higher standard and we are to go into debt expecting to pay off the debt that we have paid. Paul says, leave no debt outstanding. The... Coronavirus stuff has caused me to think about the financial situation and also um, extenuating factors that might hurt you long term. Because, you know, healthier people without pre-existing conditions, you've all heard of all this, without, pre without comorbidities, uh, who tend to have a, a normal to average weight, have not had as much trouble with coronavirus. Well, I think that there is another thing coming for us, unlike coronavirus, that we need to be cautious of, or could. If there's ever a situation like 2008, which a lot of us lived through, fortunately, I was getting my life together just after that, so I benefited from everybody else's failings in, in 2007, 2006, 2005, leading up, whatever, leading up to 2008. But in 2008, if you don't know, there was a massive uh, housing crisis. Uh, foreclosure after foreclosure after foreclosure after foreclosure. I want to say, I know it has a lot to do with coronavirus, but a large percent of houses right now are in forbearance, are in economic struggle. We might not be very far from that. And what happened in the housing crisis is all of these people went into foreclosure, which caused builders and banks and other things to lose a massive amount of money. Builders lost land and unfinished houses and finished houses and all things like that. And it 
crash the economy in other ways. Do you know people who were not bothered by that as nearly as much? Other than maybe your stock, your retirement and stuff like that? People who were not bothered by that were people who didn't have debt. You can't lose something mostly if you don't owe something to someone else. People who were massively overextended, people who had debt out of the frame, they lost. Now, I'm not judging you if you were a part of that. I'm not judging you if that's what happened to you. I'm just, I'm just telling you what happened. If right now, this is just a personal, applicable way to deal with debt. If right now we see our debt as a spiritual problem and we attack it right now, there will be no financial crisis or very few financial crises that will affect us in a way that cripples us. And I can't get the song Country Boy Can't Survive out of my head because um, the stock market, for a country boy, the stock market doesn't control him very much. I don't even remember the lyrics to the song. I've been trying to think of them all morning, but anyway, I don't even know why I mentioned it. But anyway, a debt-free boy can survive. Let's just put it that way, okay? You can work through those things because a stock market crash, although it might affect your retirement, doesn't affect you in a way that will cripple you or your family. We need to attack debt because debt is a spiritual problem. Debt reveals about us things that we don't like to reveal about ourselves. It reveals that we, are, we lack dependency on the Lord. We lack trust. We lack patience. It reveals that we want more than what God has supplied to us in that time. That we're not willing to trust in His timing to give us something else. It reveals that um, we have a general spirit of discontentedness. And I can say this as someone who has a general spirit of discontentedness when it comes to these type things. With my family, way content. With my church, love it. Mostly content. With, <laughs> just kidding. With other things in life, so content. It's hard to hold back. It's hard to long. It's hard to think about things that we want or need in a way that is future. Or in a way that's a possibility. When we can objectively have them now. Even if we don't owe them. Own them. The debt is a, a gospel issue, friends. Because God calls us to... Consider others at least as much as we consider ourselves. To honor the Lord with our, all that we have. The Shema in Exodus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your strength. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, all the law is fulfilled in those two things. Paul says, don't owe anybody. Don't have outstanding debt. And I think as a Christian, we should take that. And do the best that we can to honor the Lord with our finances. We do the best that we can to honor the Lord with who we are. Because ultimately, Christ died and gave us the, rich, the riches of heaven. And that should say more about our contentment than the riches of this earth. Would you pray with me today? Lord, you're good.
You have given us so much, and yet we still long and desire for things that we can't take with us. Things that thieves will steal and rust and moths destroy. Lord, would you help us to store up our treasures in heaven where the thief cannot touch, the moth cannot destroy? Lord, would you help us to see things as temporal and people and relationships as eternal? And seek the eternal things. Would you help us to see our possessions as temporal and your glory and honor as eternal? And seek the eternal things. Lord, would you continue to convict my heart about this? Would you continue to change me and grow me in this? Help me to grab hold of you. To cling to you. And to loose my grip on the things of this world. You are worthy. No man who puts his hands to the plowshare and turns his back and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. You are worthy of all of our attention, all of our praise. You are worthy of our desires. And while the desire to have things on this earth is not bad, the desire that trumps our desire for the Christ, the risen Son of God, is sinful and will always be problematic for the growing Christian. Help us to cling to you. Help us to cast away any idol that we might have that prevents that. We love you. We are so thankful for the riches of grace and mercy and peace that are found in belonging to Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. It's in that name we pray today. Amen.